What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Today, we are going to talk about all of the drama in Brooklyn, including Kevin Durant asking for a trade and Kyrie Irving likely headed out the door right behind him. Then I'm going to talk about all of the trades that have gone down over the last week or so since free agency started. And then I'm going to wrap up with just kind of rapid fire on my takes on the most recent free agent signings as well. So starting off with the top thing going around the league right now, the Kevin Durant trade rumors. As we all know, KD formally requested a trade from Nets ownership and Josai last week. And he has listed the Phoenix Suns as not only his preferred destination, but really the only destination that he would play for next season. And this comes at really no surprise for a number of reasons. Number one being... Devin Booker, them two have always had a big fandom of each other. They played together on the Olympic team last year. They actually have been working out in L.A. over the past week, and that came even after their reports that he has been denying calls from other stars. Clearly, that does not extend to Booker, as they have not only been in communication, but actually physically playing together. Additionally, we've seen him... Actually, two years in a row on the All-Star draft, draft Booker number one overall out of the reserve. So clearly there's a bit of a bromance going on there. They definitely are both big fans of each other's games, and so it makes sense why they would want to play together. Additionally, Durant has a very good relationship with Monty Williams, as most people in the league do, but he actually was the assistant coach for the Thunder back when Durant played there uh, before leaving for Golden State. And also, Monty is just very highly respected in general uh, across the league. So it comes at no surprise that they've got a good relationship. Uh, he's a very high-character guy, and he's obviously been a good coach. He was second in Coach of the Year last year and won the award this year as well. He also has made comments in the past about enjoying the Phoenix and Scottsdale area it is one of the fastest growing uh, and now just biggest cities in the country. And given that the season is played predominantly through the winter months of the year, probably a pretty good place to live. It's not going to get too cold, but in general, he has uh, made comments talking about Phoenix very highly. And then lastly, and probably most importantly, the, the Suns might honestly just present the best opportunity for him to win right now the Nets obviously have a good roster around him but just given everything going on I personally don't think that it's it's going to come to fruition Um, and their their talent is just it's tantalizing but there's too much going on there's too much animosity there's too much love lost and so I don't see it there so the change of scenery makes sense And Phoenix makes sense for a change of scenery because I think the trio of Booker, Durant, and Chris Paul would likely be the best big three in the league. Um, That's maybe three top players, or sorry, three players in the top 20 in the league. And there's really no other team that has that right now. I'm not even really sure what the closest one would be. But even with that, we have seen big threes not perform great recently (laughs) i mean the nets are a perfect example but they had a lot of other issues such as defense and coaching and depth issues 
filling out the roster with a lot of uh, minimum contract guys because they pretty much had to get the roster in order to make the big three happen. I'm not sure that will have to be the case for the Suns. They're going to have to offload a lot of draft picks, obviously. Um, and Aiton likely would be going out the door. But they have a lot of really good defenders on the roster. They've got a really solid group of role players, specifically on the wing with Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, among others. And of course, some of these guys will likely have to be in the deal, but probably not all of them. And they also have a lot of really tradable contracts. So even if they do trade those main guys, they've still got a lot of flexibility to make other moves and acquire other guys to fill out the roster, as well as their uh, mid-level exception, which they haven't used yet. And for anyone saying that, oh, Durant's got four years on his contract, why would he have to be traded to the Suns? They should just go for the best deal. I don't want to hear any of that. If you look at any star's in the past decade or so, they always end up where they want to be. Anthony Davis went Lakers or bust, and it's exactly where he ended up. Harden, two times, he, he did this in the span of two years between getting from Houston to Brooklyn and then Brooklyn to Philadelphia. Even when it looked like uh, when he left Houston that Philadelphia might have the better offer because they – not only could offer lots of picks, but had Ben Simmons, who at the time was a really good player. This was before his meltdown in the playoffs, and he had a ton of value. So the Nets didn't have any player on that level that they could offer. And then when you looked at the trade that ended up happening, they didn't even end up tra- sending any of their players to Houston. Jared Allen was rerouted to Cleveland and then Levert to Indiana. So with that being said, the only real example of a star not getting to where he wanted to be is Kawhi Leonard, who wanted to go to the Clippers or at least one of the LA teams. And the Raptors uh, went all in and said, you know what, we think we can contend if we get this guy. But I want to put into perspective as well that the haul it took for them to get him was really not much of a haul at all. So it made sense why the Raptors went all in because the only players they had to give up were DeMar DeRozan, who's a good player but a significant downgrade compared to uh, Pete Kawhi Leonard. And then Jakob Pertl, who has had some decent years in San Antonio since this trade, but at the time was a prospect, hadn't played much. I think he was their second or third string center, really wasn't contributing to the team at all. And then the only other piece they had to give up was one first-round draft pick that was top 20 protected. And on top of that, they actually also received Danny Green, who's more than a throw-in. This dude has been a starter on multiple championship teams now. Multiple, three different franchises now, actually. But I say all that to say that (laughs) the the return for Durant is not going to be that small. If it was that small, then yeah, of course, there's going to be lots of teams taking a, a shot in the dark at trying to get him. And I'm sure literally almost every team would be willing to give up something like that. But the point is, there are teams that are willing to give significantly more than that, specifically the Suns. Um, We've seen the article recently about how they don't really care too much about the draft pick, so I'd imagine that they're going to offer as many as it takes to get it. So with that being the case, it doesn't make sense why other teams will give their top assets, which means the Suns are likely his destination. But... And because he, it's widely known around the league that that's where he wants to end up, there's multiple examples of teams that have been rumored or talked about as good fits that will not give up their top prospects. We saw 
or not even prospects, but top assets, sorry. We saw that the Nets asked for Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards from the Timberwolves. That is an absurd ask. Cat is a top 20 player. Edwards is on his way to getting there. Uh, we've seen the Raptors not want to offer Scotty Barnes, which makes sense. He had a great rookie year. He's only going to be 20 years old. And he's just not, they don't want to mess that timeline up. There's also been reports that no one's even offering four first-round picks, which there have been talks about the Nets want the biggest return of all time. We just saw Gobert go for five, so you'd think Durant wouldn't have to go for more than that, six or seven. I think seven is the most you can offer unless you have picks from other teams. So seven seems like the number that people were expecting, but it sounds like teams aren't even offering four. And I saw that the Suns aren't even offering four, and that's because they don't have to because no nobody else is, and nobody else is because they know Durant doesn't want to be there. So they're not going to give up those assets. There's been a lot of rumors specifically about the Raptors, but I'm not buying it at all. They have absolutely no assurance that he would want to stay there long term. In fact, we've pretty much been told that he doesn't want to. And so it doesn't make sense for them to trade Scotty Barnes. And then if they don't give Barnes, what's their offer? I mean, they're not going to give Fred Van Vliet, Van Vliet or Siakam because then they're probably not contenders. And if you're trading for Durant, you have to be a contender. And if you're not a contender, then why are you trading for Kevin Durant? I mean, that's the whole point of acquiring someone like him is so that you can compete for a championship. And if even after you get him, you're still not there and you just gave up one of your other best players, then there's no point in even making that deal. So realistically, any offer would have to probably be on Anobi or Gary Trent with a bunch of picks. But when you look at that offer compared to the Suns offer, which is likely going to be Aiton, Bridges, and a bunch of picks, and then maybe Cam Johnson as well. The Suns pick is, or trade offer is just better. Aiton is better than Trent or Ananobi. Bridges and Ananobi are pretty similar caliber players. Maybe it depends on your preference, but Bridges was second in defensive player of the year, so he's definitely a little bit better defensively and uh, a little more efficient on offense as well. So whichever you prefer, it doesn't really matter. The point is the Suns offer would be better if the, if the picks are about equal, they're top two players that they'd offer. I'm sure most teams would prefer Aiton and Bridges over OG and Gary Trent. And another reason why the, the Raptors chose to do this in 2019, but probably wouldn't now, is because with how low that return was, they were actually able to keep all their depth. So it made them an instant contender. They lost to Rosen, but they were able to keep Lowry. I mean, think about the guys they had on their bench at the time. Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, now guys that have both been all-stars. Uh, I think they had Serge Ibaka still. They got Danny Green back. They had Norman Powell. So they, they were pretty stacked. They had Valanchunas as well, who also wasn't in the deal. And then they ended up using picks that they got to keep, plus Valanchunas to get Marcus Sol. So they were a really deep team, and they didn't have to really eat into any of that depth. They traded two players for two players, and both of the two players were upgrades. <laughs> so it makes sense why they do the trade, but I don't see anything like that happening in this scenario which is why I don't really see him going to any team other than the Suns. So the biggest thing that could make the Suns acquiring him a little bit more difficult would be the Aiton situation. So there's a chance a team could just say, you know what, fuck it, we'll give Aiton an offer sheet. And then the Suns would have to match it or let him walk. And from what everything I've seen, they will not be letting him walk. Under the worst case scenario where he does get offer sheet, they would just match the deal and probably look to trade him down the line. 
even though they can't right away. I, I'm not sure how that would go chemistry-wise, but regardless, they, they're not going to lose the asset for nothing. So I don't really see a scenario in which a team gives them the offer sheet, though, because these teams are in communication. And if a team's going to sign him, they're going to tell the Suns, hey, we're going to sign him. And the Suns are going to be like, you're wasting your time. If you sign him, we're just going to match it. So let's try and at least do a sign and trade. So there's really no incentive for a team to sign him to an offer sheet. If they legitimately want him, they shouldn't do it. If they want to do it just to mess the plans up, then sure, that's another thing. But the team being rumored most likely to do this is Indiana. And I don't really understand why they would want to screw the Suns over, particularly if it means getting Kevin Durant out of their conference, which makes a lot more sense than wanting him to stay there. Plus, they're not competing anytime soon. They're building. um, They're in rebuild mode. They probably want to tank and lose next year, so it doesn't really make much sense for them to care that much to want to do that. However, if they do really want him, then they have some leverage to say, okay, sign him, trade him to us, or we'll give him an offer sheet. And in that case, the Suns might be forced to oblige, uh, which definitely puts a risk at their ability to get Durant because whatever assets they get back for Aiden, they normally you'd want to think, okay, what assets can we get to make our team better? But instead, they have to be thinking, okay, what assets would the Nets most want? And so in the case of the Pacers, who's been rumored, obviously the, the easy guess would be the Suns get back Miles Turner and maybe something else. I don't know if it's another young player, maybe Chris Duarte or some picks, probably maybe one pick and Turner. Because, I mean, the sign-and-trades typically are not equal value just because the signing team has more leverage because they could just sign them outright most of the time anyway. And so the Suns are really just trying to salvage the value. But the the Nets may not care for Miles Turner. He's an expiring contract. Um, He's (laughs) been on the block for what feels like literally five years now. I mean, him and Sabonis was always a clunky fit, and... They still have him, though, but it, it doesn't look like for long, especially if they get Aiton, there's no way they're going to keep him. But like I said, then the Nets may not want him, and if that's the case, then what do the Suns do? Do they still take him and then flip him somewhere else for another asset that they would get for the Nets? Do they just keep him and hope that a Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Picks package is enough so that they could have Turner with Durant? Or do they tell the Pacers, look, if you want to send Turner out, you're going to have to send him somewhere else because we want other assets that we can send to the net. So I don't know which scenario would be most likely, but it definitely would complicate things unless the Pacers or any other team have assets that directly interest the Nets. And if for whatever reason that didn't work out, I personally still think KAD would not end up on another team. I think it's probably Suns or Bust just because I don't see other teams going all out with their assets to get a guy who doesn't want to be there. And I also don't think that the Nets are necessarily going to majorly settle for a really bad package. Um, I think that they might lose some leverage as time goes on and have to settle a little bit, but not to the point where these teams are going to um, be able to send half-ass offers and they'll still accept. So I think this, the second most likely scenario would be he stays with the Nets and a trade might be, Still probably worked out later on. I don't know if it's midseason or after next year. Maybe they do just one year run it back. But Aiton could be traded eventually. So maybe that deal would happen down the line. Whether that be 
directly to the Nets or just another team to get assets again. But I do think as time goes on, the price is going to lower. I mean, Durant is 34 years old. He's been way less durable over the past few years than he had earlier in his career. I think he's played 90 games in three seasons or something like that with the Nets, which is really low. I mean, <laughs> that's almost one season in in the span of three seasons. So his value's not going to go up at all. He's not improving. He's peaked already. And also, I, I personally don't think the team's going to be very good if they run it back. So it's going to put pressure on the Nets to deal him. I don't see them being able to legitimately contend with all the drama that's been going on. So ultimately, I do think Durant will end up on the Suns one way or another. Um, and I think that he would probably make them instant favorites, at least in the West, um, with maybe the, the Bucks and Clippers as the top contenders, maybe the Warriors, but we'll see. I I, I was down on them this year. I know they won it, so I'm probably going to make the same mistake, mistake next year, but we'll see. But especially if they could keep Bridges or Cam Johnson, one of those guys, They've still got a lot of movable contracts to upgrade their roster. Um, they don't really have a starting center right now, just Bismack Biombo, but I'm sure they could work something out if they were to get Durant. But I will say, if they do not get Durant, it is going to be a major fail for them this offseason, in my opinion. And they really have to get this done. If they need to overpay, then they need to do it. But they, if they don't get Durant, the most likely scenario is that they still lose DeAndre Ayton. They're going to probably sign and trade him somewhere. And as I said earlier, you don't normally get equal value on a sign and trade, Part, partially because you don't have the same amount of leverage. You're just trying to salvage what you can. And additionally, on a sign and trade for a restricted free agent, uh, the outgoing salary actually only counts for half of what he's going to be making. So if they sign him to a thirty a $30 million deal, the Suns can actually only take back $15 million. So... You can't actually match it up one for one, which makes things complicated as well. So with that being said, their roster is probably going to be worse if they don't get Durant. Um, Chris Paul's only getting older. We saw him in the playoffs look really bad in the last few games there against the Mavericks. We saw him look really good in some games too. So I don't think he's going to necessarily fall off a cliff, but he can't have the same consistency that he once had. And that's something the Suns need to keep in mind. They can probably still win 50 games if they got Miles Turner instead of Aiton, but they still wouldn't have a real third shot creator to take pressure off Booker or allow CP to kind of take a step back. And they haven't even used their mid-level exception yet. But to be honest, there's not really a lot of good options. I mean, I think a guy like Goran Dragic would have been good. Um, maybe Thomas Bryant, if they were able to flip Aiton for something other than a center, he could be a, a decent starting center. But all those guys are off the market. They still could make a trade for someone other than Durant. Um, but there's not that many good options out there. Maybe someone like Jordan Clarkson. But I don't think the addition of him is really enough to offset eight, what they lose in Aiton. So let's say, for example, they add Miles Turner and Jordan Clarkson but lose Aiton. I still think they're a worse team. I mean, they've got some more offense off the bench, but they're losing defense down low. They're losing a good screener, a good roller, a good finisher. Miles Turner is a better shooter than Aiton, but that's pretty much the only thing he does better as well as blocking shots. But Aiton is still very good at affecting shots, even though he doesn't get blocks, and he's a much more versatile defender. Plus, I think Miles Turner falls in love with the three a little bit too much, and so... That's not something Aiton does, obviously. He knows his role a little bit better than Turner might know it. 
So with that being said, if they were to bring back Turner and Clarkson, for example, I could see the Suns as maybe a three, anywhere from a three seed to a six seed. But the West is going to be really deep with the Clippers and Nuggets finally fully healthy. And then especially if the Lakers end up getting Kyrie, and then the Timberwolves are going to be much better. The Grizzlies are um, only improving internally. So we'll see. I think that if they don't get Durant, I honestly think their best option would just be to keep Aiton and try to run it back because they could still add a guy like Clarkson off the bench. And that would really be the only way to salvage a non-KD Suns team moving forward. But ultimately, I do think it gets done. But I think the pressure is really on them to get it done because if Kevin Durant wants to play for your team, you make sure Kevin Durant plays for your team. Um, and all the fans are expecting it at this point because that's what they've been told. So not only are the fans going to be angry if they don't get him, but I think rightfully so, and I think the team is going to just not be as good and maybe not true contenders if they get him back, but I think they could be the favorite if they do get him. So I think it's time for them to go all in. And after the Kevin Durant domino falls, the thing most likely to come right after is a Kyrie Irving trade who also... I don't think he formally requested a trade, but I think <laughs> I don't think he had to because I think both the front office and him are ready to move on, particularly if Durant is gone. It really feels like the Lakers are probably the only option for him. There's been mentions of teams like Miami, Philadelphia, Dallas, but I personally just do not see any of those happening. The Lakers are clearly very desperate and rightfully so, to be honest. The reports are saying that not only does Kyrie want to be in L.A., but LeBron wants him in L.A. and the Lakers want him in L.A. So there's really no incentive for any other team to give up real assets. One, because Kyrie just is a wild card, to be honest. And secondly, it might only be a one-year rental, so that's even just more incentive not to give up anything of real value. Of course, the Lakers would obviously have to include Russell Westbrook in any deal just to match salaries because they've got three really big salaries with him, LeBron, and AD, and then a bunch of not very high salaries that would not be enough to match Kyrie, and both teams are up against the cap, so it's not really a ton of flexibility. But if they do include Russ, I think it obviously implies that Durant's not on the nets anymore. I don't I don't think they would put Russ and KD together. That would be pretty funny and entertaining to see, honestly, but I don't think that would happen. But I don't think it would matter or come to that anyway because I think that Durant will be the first domino to fall before Kyrie. The reports are saying that the Lakers do not want to give up two picks. I think they only have two available to trade because they've traded so many other ones away for other deals between the Westbrook deal and the um, Anthony Davis deal as well. But I think they should just do it if that's what it takes to get it done. I think they rightfully show, so should be desperate because LeBron's going to turn 38 this year and Anthony Davis is already having durability issues. So they they need another reliable guy. I know that sounds pretty ironic calling <laughs> Kyrie a reliable guy. What I mean more so is just a reliable scoring threat or uh, all-star player, not a reliable person, which he clearly has not been, which is why his value is so low. But I'm not sure they're even going to have to give up those two picks. I think once Durant is moved, assuming he is, then the Nets really have no leverage whatsoever. Because what I mean, they're not just going to keep Kyrie if Durant's not there, and no other team wants him. Uh, I'm not sure there's any team that's even giving another pick for him, let alone an asset. Plus, 
I know that Westbrook has had his struggles recently, but for a team like the Nets, who's kind of rebooting, it is an expiring contract. They would be able to have his deal roll off and have a ton of cap space next year. And it's not like the Nets wouldn't necessarily be an appealing destination for free agents. I mean, they still have Ben Simmons. They're probably going to get some good players from the Suns if that deal happens. They're probably going to get a ton of picks, picks that they could potentially move. There's been rumors of Donovan Mitchell wanting to go there potentially. So I don't think that they'd be totally dead if they do trade these two players. I still think they end up with a lot of flexibility. They're likely going to get anywhere from six to nine first-round picks in return for these two players, which is a lot um, to have at your disposal to trade. Additionally, they're going to have a ton of cap space and some still pretty good young players. Probably no one who's going to turn into an all-star i mean ben simmons has been an all-star we'll see what he can be on maybe like his own team but if you've got simmons mikhail bridges cam johnson cap space a bunch of picks that's it's not nothing i don't think they're gonna bottom out like they did before when they made these uh the terrible garnett and paul pierce trade and didn't have any other picks so we'll see the nets are obviously not in the best situation I personally think their best option is to trade both. I just don't see any scenario where they contend with these two guys given the animosity between the front office and the players and not to mention Steve Nash, who's a horrific coach, just (laughs) kind of watches the game, doesn't have much of a backbone to tell the players to stand down when they're talking about themselves being the coach. (laughs) Same with the GM. So I don't know. I think it's time. You got to get what you can. So next, I'm going to talk about some of the trades that went down, and I'm going to try to go in order in which they happened. So starting off with the Hawks and Spurs trade with DeJounte Murray being sent to Atlanta for three first-round picks and a pick swap, all of those first-round picks being unprotected. I think the Spurs did really well here. Three unprotected picks and a swap is really a good haul for DeJounte Murray. I know Murray made an all-star game last year, um, and he only turns 26 in September. But I personally don't really view him as a perennial all-star type player. He was a replacement on the team last year. He made twenty, he averaged 21, 9, 8, and led the league in steals with two per game. But he's not much of a shooter. I'm not really sure how much more he's going to grow. I mean, if he develops a good shot, then it, it would be great. But I am just not the. I'm not super high on him. I don't think he's a top 35, top 40 guy. I think he stuffed the stats last season on the Spurs because they weren't very good. They won 34 games. There wasn't really anybody else on the team to take shots. So. I mean, he took 18 a game last year, career high. So I don't know. I'm not a huge Murray guy. I think he's a really good, he's a nice player. He's um, a really good player. So I'll say that, but I I just don't think he's elite. I'm not sure how much more he's going to grow unless he develops his shot some more, but there hasn't really been anything that we've seen that would make us think that that's going to happen. But I really like this for the Spurs, not only because that, but just because they're finally committing to the rebuild. I know that they've been hesitant in the past just because most people presume because Popovich is the coach. 
But he's got nothing left to prove. He's got five rings. He's the winningest coach of all time, solidified himself as one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's a Hall of Famer, coached Team USA. He's done it all. So there's been all this thought that when they finally decide to rebuild, he'd walk away, although they are saying that he signed off on the deal and that he does not intend to walk away. I don't know. Maybe he's waiting for the Wembayana, Wembayama prospect next year. See if they get him, and <laughs> maybe he'll want to coach him and hopefully hope that he's Tim Duncan 2.0. But who knows? He's, he's getting pretty old, so I'm not sure how much time he's got left regardless. But I think it's really smart for the Spurs finally to commit to the rebuild. I mean, they had a phenomenal, basically 20-year run of being excellent. Five rings. They won 50 games, I think. 18 straight years or something like that and that's with like two (laughs) lockout shortened seasons i think they still got to 50 wins both times like the there was a 66 game season i think they went 50 and 16 so that's even more impressive obviously but it's time for them they don't really have any overly enticing prospects moving forward i'm not really sure which guy on their roster has the most value maybe devin vassell keldon johnson maybe so they need to get some more young talent. They've got a bunch of like, oh, he could be pretty good, maybe a good role player, but nobody with star potential. And Murray, I feel like he kind of is what he is at this point. He's a good player, but he doesn't really fit the timeline. So I, I think overall, great move by the Spurs. Getting unprotected first gives them a lot of flexibility moving forward. And it's not like the Hawks are a sure thing to be some championship contender. So those picks could end up being quite valuable. Um, as well as their own bottoming out. So their own picks will be valuable as well as they tank, which I would presume they do. On the Hawks side of things, I don't love it. I like the idea. I had said that they probably need to consolidate some players because they've got, what, 9, 10 guys deep that all probably should be getting real NBA minutes. But that's not really what wins in the NBA. I mean, depth is good for the regular season, but you need star power, and they didn't really have much of it other than Trey Young. But this trade was interesting because they actually didn't really give up any players. They gave up Gallinari, um, who came off the bench the past few years, has shot the ball well, but he's he's getting up there in his mid-30s. So they didn't really consolidate players. They did give up some draft picks. But I'm not sure Murray is good enough that where it'll push the needle for them. I think this trade puts them – I think come before this trade, they were a borderline playoff team somewhere in the 6 to 8 seed range. I think this puts them solidly in the playoffs. They probably could be somewhere from the – if they are healthy and go for it in the regular season, could get somewhere in like the 3 seed range at, at most. But probably somewhere in the 4, 5, 6 range. They might, depending on who they draw in the playoffs, they might win one series. But I, I just don't see this as getting them on the level of competing with a, a Boston, a Milwaukee, a Philadelphia, Miami. I think those four teams are all clearly still better. And the Hawks would not be favored against any of them in a, in a seven-game series. And, I mean, the way seeding works out can be weird sometimes. So the Hawks may still win a playoff series if maybe they're the four seed and Maybe, like, Philadelphia had some injuries, so they fell to the sixth seed, so they don't have to play one of those teams. But the point is, they are not a top-four team in the East still in my eyes. 
So that's a lot to give up to still not be a top four team. And then they traded Kevin Herter as well. I didn't love that deal. I liked it for Sacramento, one of the actually decent moves they made this offseason. They had a few that were pretty good between getting Herter and Malik Monk to bring off the bench and stuff. But I don't know. I like don't love the Hawks. I think that I understand where they're coming from. They improve their team. Like th- this does improve their team. They will be better next year. They'll be better defensively. It'll take more pressure off Trey Young. But the point is, I'm not sure it push moves the needle enough to make them probably where they want to be, which is like a legit East contender. Additionally, I'm not even sure I really like the fit that much. I mean, I talked about this on the last pod, but Murray and Trey are an interesting fit for me because Murray just can't shoot. So, like, having him off ball could be very questionable. I'm not sure I like him off ball. And then on top of that, I don't want Trey off ball because he's such a good playmaker. I think probably LeBron and Chris Paul are the only two arguably better playmakers than him. So... With that being said, I don't really want either of them off ball, but they obviously can't both be on ball. I'm sure Murray will help them defensively, but I I think that they're going to max out at a second round playoff team. It's probably something similar to the Bulls last year where like they might look good early and then as the year goes on you're going to be like, "Oh, well, actually I don't not sure how much I'm buying it, but yeah, we'll see." Next, we did have a smaller deal that I do want to touch on, the Nuggets and Wizards uh flipped a couple players, it was a two-for-two. Two. It was Monte Morris and Will Barton for KCP and Ish Smith. So I know the Nuggets were actually getting a lot of praise from some guys um, on Twitter after they made this trade, but I personally don't like it for them. Ish Smith is by far the worst player in the deal. I mean, this dude's played for like 13 teams, and he he's not a total bum, but like he's... There's a reason he's played on 13 teams. There's a reason he's never really been on a playoff team. He's always on bad teams. And he's a good maybe third point guard, but I guess they're banking on Bones Highland to take a step up. I know they still have Austin Rivers, so maybe that will be his role. But regardless, feels like they could have gotten more for Amante Morris. And then you look at the other two between KCP and Will Barton. I think Will Barton's probably a better player than KCP. I think KCP might be a better fit. Because Barton can be a little sporadic. He's not as good of a shooter. You want shooters around Jokic. Barton like can take bad shots at times. KCP's not going to do that. He's going to stay in his role. He, KCP's probably a little bit of a better defender. So I understand that part, but I don't know. I just feel like they could have gotten better value from Morris and Barton. I think they're both good NBA players that could crack any team's rotation. And so dumping them for basically just KCP in my eyes didn't make a ton of sense. I'm not sure it's going to move the meat, the needle at all on the Nuggets anyway. I It doesn't change my opinion of them much. I just thought that they didn't great get great value in the trade. Up next, we have the huge trade of Rudy Gobert to the T-Wolves. So Gobert was traded for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Balmaro, Walker Kessler, who was just drafted this year, and then Jared Vanderbilt, along with four first-round picks and one pick swap. I believe most of these picks are unprotected, and the latest one is all the way in 2029. 
So this is quite the haul for Rudy Gobert. Um, God, Gobert is obviously such a polarizing player because on one hand, you look at his accolades. I mean, he is a he's a three-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, and then a six-time All-Defense. So he probably is going to make the Hall of Fame. He's got an argument for one of the greatest defensive players of all time. I mean, there's not a lot of guys. I think, I think three defensive player of the years is the most all time. I think he might be tied with someone, but I don't think anyone is more than that. So his analytics are obviously really good. We have seen his limitations in the playoffs and they're real. So he's hard to judge. His regular season numbers are a lot better. And if he's on your team, you're going to be elite defensively, at least in the regular season. You're going to be really good. You're going to win a lot of games. But I'm not sure how conducive he is to the playoffs, and that's happened time and time again. I mean, Utah the last two years has lost to the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and then the Mavericks without Luka Doncic. So (laughs) those are pretty much two top five guys that they didn't have, and they still couldn't beat them. And that was largely because of their defensive issues and not being able to guard smaller lineups because they were forcing smaller guys onto Gobert. So he's he's been pretty exposed. But five picks is a lot for that. But when you look at his accolades, I mean, you don't just trade a four-time All-NBA player for nothing. So I, I understand why Utah wanted that much because, I mean, they can point to that. And they're like, you're literally trading for an all-time great defensive player, a Hall of Famer, four-time All-NBA. So I understand it from that perspective. However, it's a it's an overpay. I mean, there's context to it. You can't just look at the accolades. You can't just look at the stats. You can't just look at the analytics. There's context. And when you have that context, it is a bit of an overpay. I mean, four, four picks – sorry, five picks plus – it's not like the players are nothing. I mean, Malik Beasley is – He's is what he is. He's a fine player, probably good sixth man. Jared Vanderbilt has shown a, a lot of good flashes. He's a, turned into a very good defensive player and um, was a big part of their turnaround season last year. Who knows? We're getting out of Walker Kessler, but he was the twenty second pick this year, so you could argue basically six picks. But who knows if Utah would have actually picked him? And then Pat Bev. I mean, we'll see if he gets moved. He's a good player to have on a contending team, but on a team like Utah, who's probably not going to be very good. I'm not sure he's going to do much for them. But for Utah, I really like this trade. Like I said, I think they got more than I would have expected for Gobert. And I think it was time for them to blow it up. Everyone knew that they might, but they've been talking about it for years. The Gobert and Mitchell duo just hasn't been able to get over the hump. They've brought in other guys around them, like Conley, Bogdanovich. But those guys are getting really old. Bogdanovich is 34, I believe. Conley's getting up there in ages as well. So they kind of missed their window. I think their window, their best chance was probably 2021 when they were playing the Clippers. They were the one seed, and Kawhi Leonard suffers an injury, and then they they don't win again. I mean, that's inexcusable for them not to win that series and obviously Quinn Snyder walked away this year which I think probably was a little bit of a foreshadowing I think it was a mutual um parting I don't think he was fired so 
I think that probably was because they tipped him off that maybe there was some changes coming and I, I don't know if you want to stick around for a rebuild. Also, their new head coach, Will, Will Hardy, I think is his name. He was hired for five years and he's never coached before. So that's normally the kind of move you make when you're going to go through a rebuild and so you're not blaming the coach for losing because it's kind of set up for failure. So we'll see if, if Mitchell gets moved. I think he absolutely will get moved within the next year or so, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen this offseason. Could be during the during the season, maybe around the trade deadline. A team might be more desperate, and so they might get more, but who knows. But regardless, I think it is a good move for Utah. Even if they kept Gobert, there's, a, there's an argument to be made that they weren't even a top-six team between Phoenix, especially if they get Durant, Golden State, the Clippers, potentially the Lakers if they get Kyrie, Denver, Dallas. There's just there was a good chance they were headed for the plan if they just ran it back. And so I think it's just better for them to bottom out. I mean, I think right now with their current team, it's Mitchell and a bunch of old guys and young guys, kind of no one in between. I think they're probably in the eleventh or twelfth best team right there with like the Kings or something. So I personally would trade Mitchell just to blow it all up. But people were saying, cause they have the all-star game in Utah this year, they don't want to be a total joke, but that's, that's silly in my opinion. But regardless, good move for Utah. They got great value for Gobert. It was time to blow it up. Also what's kind of under the radar is Gobert's contract is huge. Cause he's got all those accolades. He gets the super max. And I think he's going to be making close to like $50 million at one point towards the end, which is a lot to be paying a guy who his best attribute is defense but is constantly a liability on that end of the court uh, in the playoffs. And a guy who's not going to give you really anything on offense. I mean, he's never averaged more than 15 points a game, and they're pretty much all layups and dunks. He's got no offensive post game or touch or really anything so but uh yeah and he's already 30 so i mean that that super max deal is going to look really bad at one point i i think so but moving to minnesota this is one of those weird trades it's kind of similar to atlanta where like yes this trade does make them a better team they will be better they will win more games they will have a better chance to win a playoff series but does it make them a contender no I just don't think it does. Um, unless we get something out of Anthony Edwards where he suddenly has like a big leap, like Luca or something, where he's arguably a top 10 player, top 5 player even. Uh, if that happens, then maybe. But I don't think that's going to happen right now. He's still really young. I know he's been getting a lot of hype, but he still has a lot to prove. He's He wasn't really even con- in consideration at all for like an all-star game or anything last year. So... I think he's going to be a really good player, but at the end of the day, he still was kind of inefficient the past two years. He's was 44% last year, 36% from three. It's not like those are terrible, but nothing to really write home about. It's not amazing numbers either. So, And he hasn't been much of an assist guy. He can turn the ball over a little. So, yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of potential, but the point is that he's not a sure thing. Uh, people are kind of talking about him like he's this – top 15 guy in the league but he he's not there yet he's just not there yet but regardless i think the t-wolves are going to be a really good team they're going to win over 50 games they're going to be anywhere from the four to six seed range 
They're going to be much improved defensively. But I still don't love their team. Um, I I feel like it would have been good for them to get rid of uh, D'Angelo Russell in the trade and maybe keep Beverly. But I'm sure Utah didn't want that. Because if there's any chance that they keep Mitchell, like a Mitchell-Russell backcourt would just be so bad defensively. And I, Russell is just, I don't know what to make of him anymore. He's a glorified sixth man that makes 30 million. So <laughs> um, I'd love to have him on my team if he was making 12 million, but he's just overpaid. But with that being said, like I said, the T-Wolves will be really solid. I am interested to see, I guess Cat is going to play the power forward now. I think offensively, he absolutely can. He's obviously one of the best shooting big men of all time. Um, and he's, it's not like Gobert is going to like clog the plate, the paint too much for him. Because Vanderbilt was already kind of playing that dunker spot role for him last year, and he was just fine. But defensively, I think it's it could be really tough for them, because there's just going to be two guy two guys that you can switch out onto a small guy that are going to struggle. And Cat already, I mean, Cat's not a rim protector. He's not a very good defensive player as is. He can get manipulated on guards in the playoffs, and Gobert can too. So. They're going to have problems in the playoffs, I think. I think their ceiling would be like maybe they win one playoff round. If they get a three or four seed, maybe. or I don't know. It just depends on the matchup. I said this like the Hawks. Like their ceiling. Like there's not no case, no scenario where they don't win a playoff series. But there's just there's no scenario in which they legit contend, in my opinion. Um, with if injuries fall their way, maybe they can make a conference finals, but like that is absolute best case scenario. I mean, Edwards is still 20 years old. He'll be 21 when the season starts, but he's really young. And then I just don't, I'm interested to see the fit defensively. Cause I think on defense during the regular season, it's going to work well. Cause Gobert just gives you such a, a floor on that end during the regular season. But I think it's gonna be a major issue for them in the playoffs. And, I don't know. I, I don't think those picks are going to come back to haunt them too much just because I think Edwards is going to be really good and it's not like they're going to be some terrible lottery team for years to come. And we forget the Cat. I mean, Cat's only 26, I think, 25, 26. So they've got two really, really good, potentially top 25 guys for the next five-plus years, if not more. So they've got a pretty high floor. But the West is loaded, so we'll see. But at the end of the day, I think the T-Wolves – improved but not to the extent they would like and their future uh, as a contender really just hinges on edwards development and then i think the the jazz good trade for them overall i think tank full-on tanks coming for them soon i think danny Ainge is probably going to clean house and then your future and mitchell will likely get shipped out it's just a matter of when more so than if so next we have the Malcolm Brogdon trade, and this was the Celtics um, getting Brogdon for Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, and one first-round pick. So I really like this trade for the Celtics. I think it is a huge win just across the board. Brogdon's been floated around in trade rumors for a long time now, um, and T Tice is basically a salary filler. Neesmith has really not been good on the Celtics. He was supposed to be advertised out of the draft as a knockdown shooter. And he hasn't really knocked down shots, <laughs> uh, really at all. And he doesn't do much else other than that. So 
he he could turn into a good player. He's still really young. He's got time. But to be honest, it was mostly just a, a pick for Brogdon, which Brogdon's a good player. Over the past few, since he got to Indiana, he's been in the 18 to 20 points per game. His assists are around six or seven. He gets about five rebounds. He's had a 50, 40, 90 season. He's really efficient. He's a good shooter. He's a at least average defender. I think he came into the league a little better and he's lost a little bit of a step on that end just because he's had to take on more of an offensive workload. But really his biggest issue has been durability. He's I mean, it is, he played 75 games his rookie year, and since then he's played 48, 64, 54, 56, 36. So he hasn't played 70 games since his rookie year, and he's only played 55 games once since his rookie year, particularly the last three are pretty bad. I know 36 is really low last year, though I will say I think he probably could have come back and played more last year, but the Pacers were kind of tanking and so they weren't rushing him back and they yeah there was no need for him to play i think it was kind of a mutual decision but regardless he's a really good player he's still only 29 um he does most things really well he doesn't really have a glaring weakness in his game he's kind of this weird slow moving moves at his own pace type player but it's it is weirdly effective for whatever reason he's able to get to his spots really well and he's a knockdown shooter and he's probably the best playmaker that the celtics have on their team now more so than marcus smart and other than him they really didn't have anybody he's also a much better shooter than smart so i think they'll complement each other pretty well because smart's a really good defender brogdon can handle more of the offensive load uh, and he's going to get more open looks on a better team in Boston, especially with most teams giving Tatum and Brown the attention there. So I really love this for Boston. They now go like nine deep with really good players um, with Smart, Brogdon, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Derek White, and now also Danilo Gallinari, who they picked up uh, after the Spurs waived him. So they, ha- I mean, that is a really good nine man rotation probably one of the best in the league i still think they could use another star type guy but uh you know what in today's league you don't need three stars to to win i mean they made the finals last year on third depth and defense and i think brogdon's only gonna make that better i think he's the exact kind of player they needed a ball handler a shot creator a shooter he's yeah Everything he brings to the table is the exact kind of thing they need. So I love this for Boston, and the price was really good for them. They didn't have to give up much. For Indiana, it kind of is what it is. You're just trying to open up minutes for Halliburton, Matherin, and Duarte. And so either those guys were going to have to not play much or Brogdon was going to just not be part of the rotation. So kind of sucks for them that they couldn't get more value out of him but his lack of durability just kind of killed his value so you can't you can't do too much about it if you're in dna can't really be kicking yourself but it is what it is on their front at least they got a first round pick and maybe they can turn neesmith into a, a decent player in in their rotation so next i'm going to shift over to some of the free agents so among the big names that have signed i'm not going to talk too much on Zach Levine. I mean, he signed for the max. Everyone ex- expected him to. 
Um, I do want to talk about James Harden, who just signed today. He took, I think it was a $15 million pay cut, they said. So I think somewhere in the $32 million range for two years. Um, and that's per year. So probably around 64 65 per season over the next two years. And I think next year is a player option. So I think it's a win for both sides. Like 32 is still a lot to be making for Harden. He has one of those weird contracts where just because he's got all these accolades and when he came up in his career he was going to be able to make like into the 50 million per year i mean no one is not no one's worth that but at his age like i think we all know it's just not that was going to be a bad deal for philadelphia and not worth it for them but they they had to sign him so it's good for them they came to a middle ground it opens up some more flexibility for them it's been rumors of them being able to acquire eric gordon i think this probably increases those chances Daryl Morey trying to do Houston 2.0 with Gordon Tucker, um, Harden, and Daniel House. So let's see if they get Capella and Ariza thrown in there too. But no, obviously they're not going to get Capella with Embiid there. But yeah, I think good deal for both sides. I don't really have too much to comment. It makes sense that Harden took a little bit less. Makes sense for Philadelphia that they wanted to retain him. So win-win both sides there. Um, next, I want to talk about Jalen Brunson. I believe he got four years, a little over a hundred million. I think one of four, so puts him in about like twenty six million per season. So this is a bit of an overpay, for being honest. He is a good player. <laughs> Do I think he is a above average starting point guard? No, I do not. He currently now will check in as the 14th highest paid point guard, which sounds not too bad because you're like, okay, maybe he's about average. Guys ahead of him are Steph, Russ, Dame, Luca, Trey, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, Jamal Murray, D'Angelo Russell, SGA, Darren Fox, CP3, and Kyle Lowry. But if you're really thinking about, okay, is he the 14th best point guard? I think that you're not realizing how stacked the point guard position is. So if you go down a list of just point guards better than him, Curry, Lillard, Luka, Trey, Kyrie, probably Ben Simmons still, I would argue, Jamal Murray, Shea Goldis-Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, Chris Paul, um, Fred Van Vliet, DeJounte Murray, John Morant, Kate Cunningham, Darius Garland, LaMelo Ball. Um, and there's some other guys I didn't mention. Um, you could argue probably Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Tyrese Maxey could be argued as a point guard. I mean, Harden's basically a point guard at this point. Um, the point is, he's probably closer to the 20 range. So it's a slight overpay in my opinion. The, the position is kind of stacked overall. But regardless, it's not so much that they overpaid him i mean i think it's a sign a fine signing overall i just the knicks aren't going to be very good if your top guys are brunson and randall i just don't see it i mean they literally were trading away draft picks just to clear up cap space so they're also <laughs> going to be they're gonna have to give up some second round picks now because for tampering which is just so silly like i i don't know what what their goal is but it's it's not winning a championship because that's not what they're doing <laughs> but i mean it's fine it is what it is they'll be mediocre to not very good next year 
Um, at least it gives them an asset that they can move. And with the cap going up, I guess that number is not going to be so insane. Probably will be pretty tradable if they do need to do that down the road. But we'll see. We'll probably have a good year, but the Knicks just won't be very good. Um, this affects the Mavericks quite a, a bit, though, in my opinion. Um, it, if they don't sign someone to replace them, I think they're pretty obviously going to be worse next year. And to be honest with the... The West, how stacked it is with guys coming back, I wouldn't be surprised if they are in the play-in. I mean, I know they made the conference finals and we only expect Luka to get better, but they just don't have any other like ball handlers to take pressure off Luka um, other than Dinwiddie. And so I don't really like Dinwiddie as a starter. I think he's a six-man type guy. And so if he is, if he plays six-man, he, he still might do that, but then your starting lineup with Luka is just... Him with some shooters and Christian Wood, maybe JaVale McGee, who they also signed, which I like his fit, but not as a starter next to Christian Wood, which is what they're reporting. And they gave him a three-year deal. I mean, the dude is like 35. He's literally going to be playing there till he's 38. So I don't know. I, I thought that was a weird signing just because the contract length. It's not for very much money, so like I'm sure they'll be able to trade him if they need to. I think they use the taxpayer mid-level exception which is like six million a year but regardless um i don't like the idea of him starting next to wood i think wood is best as, as a center and then you could bring mcgee off the bench he's a very good backup center but maybe he wanted to start that's why i went there that's why i left phoenix but i don't know i think dallas really needs to add another guard maybe they could get colin sexton or something there's always been these rumors that gordon dragas is going to go there for years and then he has all these opportunities and doesn't go there so i don't know what's up with that but regardless i think this is a i think it's a bigger loss for dallas than it is a gain for the knicks if that makes sense just because he was really important for them last year especially with the games when luca missed and he did miss a good bit of games last year and the knicks i just don't think it makes much of a difference for them if we're being honest Cool. So next I want to do Bradley Beal. I hate this deal. Uh, <laughs> talked about this on the free agent preview, just saying that I, I'm i just out on Beal. I don't know. He doesn't play defense. He's uh, statistically a super overrated shooter. He's a little undersized. He's gotten a little better as a facilitator, but he's not a true facilitator. He's He can score 30, but probably gonna lose more games than you win if he's your best player unless you've got some another comparably good player next to him but they don't have that um god and then the supermax is so much and then it is just so inexcusable that they gave him a no trade clause he's the only player in the whole league with the no trade clause like lebron doesn't have one kevin durant doesn't have one Giannis didn't even get one like it's just Bradley Beal gets a no trade clause. They don't even do those these days, and so just the thought of him getting one is pretty absurd. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I hate the signing. I guess they can try and trade him later, which was my initial thought of why the signing could be defensible. But now with this, I don't even know if they can. Also, I think there's a 15% trade kicker, so if they do trade him, then the team's got to pay him an extra 15%. So he's almost unmovable, but then he, they're going to be so mediocre with him, and they're not going to be bad enough to tank. And so I have no idea what they're doing. They've got no cap flexibility now because his deal is so big. And then they're already paying Porzingis like 30 mil. So they can't sign anybody anytime soon. They can't get off his contract anytime soon. They're not going to be bad enough to get a, 
a top draft pick anytime soon. So I have no idea what the Wizards' plan is. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, but cool. Next, I want just want to talk about a few signings. Just some that I liked. I'm not going to get into detail. I like the Harten, um, Hartenstein signing for New York. I think he had a pretty solid year with the Clippers last year. Underrated. He was cheap. I'm sure there was a lot of contenders that could have benefited from having him. I think Joe Ingles was a great signing for Milwaukee. They've had a lot of guys play that kind of like swing wing role with like uh, Wesley Matthews, Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen. I think Ingles is by far the best version of those guys uh, or the best player they've had in there as they've iterated through them. He's a great playmaker for a non-point guard, great passer, knows how to go through the flow of the offense. He's a really good shooter. I think he shot almost 50% from three a couple years back. And then he can hold his own on defense. He'll be recovering from uh, injury, so I'm not exactly sure when he'll be back, but I really, really like that pickup. I think playing him next to Drew, Brooke Lopez, Giannis, and Middleton is going to be a really good five-man lineup. Uh, I like the Kyle Anderson signing for Minnesota. I think he's going to slot in very nicely with the the players they do have. He's not going to command shots, but they've got a lot of guys that do command shots between Russell Edwards and Cat, so I think he's going to fit in super nice there. Reasonable deal as well. I like the Bruce Brown signing for Denver. They need a little bit more wing depth with Barton leaving. He's a little switch up of a player from KCP, so I think they complement each other well. They're both good defenders. Bruce Brown's good inside, a better ball handler, whereas KCP's more of a spot-up shooter, better shooter, um, good def- good defender as well. So I like that pairing there. They can kind of have a little flexibility with their lineups. And then I like the DiVincenzo signing for the Warriors. I think he, he signed for less money than I thought. He is still really young. Um, he came out after one year at Villanova, I believe, and he's only been in the league for a few years. So he's, he's a pretty good player. He had some good moments with the Bucks. I know they flipped him to the Kings last year, and there was rumors that the Kings were actually intentionally not playing him because they didn't want to drive up his cost. But his cost didn't get driven up very much, and they still didn't even try and sign him. So I don't, I don't know if there was any truth to that. But regardless, I think he's a very good pickup. I think he'll fit in very nicely with Golden State. Most people do. But particularly his playing style will be good for them. And then Gallinari, I already touched on him a little bit with the Celtics, but great signing for them. He's He can kind of be Al Horford light. Um, he's not the defender that Horford is, but he can provide a lot of the things on offense. Good passer for a big, very good shooter. Um, and yeah, I think he's going to fit in super nice there. Then there's a few that I did not like, one being the Gary Payton Jr., or sorry, Gary Payton the second signing to Portland. I had a feeling he was going to get overpaid just because that tends to happen when you play well in the playoffs and then another team wants to steal you off their team. But I don't know. He got $9 million a year. I thought that was a little high. I just, I just don't. He's almost 30 already. Like People act like he's this young player just because he kind of recently broke out. He's not a young player. Um, and I just don't see what he brings on offense. He's not a good shooter. He's a good cutter, but and he's athletic. But I, he doesn't do much on offense for me. He's a good defender, but I don't know. He's not my favorite. I think he got a little overhyped personally um, for what he did in the playoffs. I know some people were saying that he was a big reason they won. I think they probably could have been fine without him, but whatever. 
I think DiVincenzo is a fine replacement. They do different things, but I like DiVincenzo more overall as a player. Next, we have Mitchell Robinson. I think Mitchell Robinson is a fine player. Another guy who's probably a below-average starting center if you actually look at how many centers are better than him. He's probably closer to the 20 range. But he's getting paid $15 million a year now, four years for 60 I think that is just too much. If a, a guy like Aiton can't even get the deal he's looking for and then Robinson gets 15 year, just feels kind of absurd given the massive gap in skill set there. But I don't know. Robinson also, on top of it, can't stay healthy. So maybe if he was staying healthy and showing some flashes, you'd sign him to that. Or if he was really good, but you could overcome the injuries but the combination of both i'm just not a huge fan of the deal i'm pretty i know they traded neurons Noel. he was making a lot less i feel like you can get 80 percent of what you get of robinson with noel and for a cheaper amount so i know Noel's older but not my favorite deal overall i touched on the mcgee deal i just don't like the length i think three years is really long for the mavs and especially if their plan is to play him at the five next to wood that's just such a weird fit in my opinion Wood should be playing center in today's NBA, but whatever. And then lastly, uh, Anthony Simons. I like him, but 25 a year just feels like a lot. I know that he's 23 years old, but, I mean, he basically had one good half season. His rookie year, he played 20 games, seven minutes a game, so he didn't play at all. His second year, got some more playing time, thirty or sorry, 70 games, but he shot below 40%, 33% from three, so he was really not good. Then his third season, he his minutes actually go down. He played less games, 17 minutes a game. He shot better from three, 43%, which is really good, but he was 40% from two, so 42% was his overall field goal percentage. And then last year, he had a really good second half. So his numbers were really ended up quite good. 44% from the field is not bad. 41% from three is very good. 17 a game, four assists. But he's he's really bad on defense. Like, he is awful on defense. His career defensive rating is 120, which is just atrocious. He's got total negative defensive box plus minus, negative defensive win shares last year. So he's a really, really bad defender. He is... A little undersized. He's 6'3", but, like, do you think he's a, a point guard? I sure, sure don't. He's not much of a facilitator. And then he's undersized for shooting guard. That's why he's so bad on D. But I do like him. I know I'm shitting on him, but he's he's a good player. But I think he's more of a bench six-man guy just because I he's too bad on defense. He's going to be like a spark plug off the bench that can get you some, some points kind of like Jordan Clarkson-ish is how I see him. So I just think that that's a lot to pay a guy like that. I know he's young, but I have seen nothing to think he's going to improve on defense. And it's not like he's been this super consistent offensive player either. He had a really good second half, but it's not like he did much in the first half. He basically had a half of one good season, and then they gave him 100 mil. Thank you so much for listening to the most recent episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Hopefully the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving stuff gets resolved soon. If so, I will have a pod very shortly after. If not, I'll still probably check in sometime next week. Maybe talk a little bit about Summer League and then uh, the other latest rumors that are going around the league. But thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you soon.